Today's scripture reading is 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 24. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. So when you think of tragedies, tragedies have a way of forcing us to ask questions. Uh, when, the, when the unthinkable and the unimaginable happen, we want some type of clarity. Even if, uh, even if we don't get full understanding, some answers at least uh, would help us to, to deal better with what's happening. I think many of us, if not all of us, can say that there have been moments in our lives where we have sought answers for the chaos happening all around us. And if you haven't, keep living. It will eventually happen. Our text this morning is, is set in tragedy. Elijah and, and the widow enter into tragedy. We, we see in verse 15 that it says that, that they ate for many days. And so the provision that we learned of last week, it wasn't just a one-day miracle. It was a sustained uh, miracle of provision from the Lord. We, even up until the tragic death of her son, we have no reason to believe that this, the jar of flour, the jar of, oil, the jar of oil ran out. And so why? Why would this happen now? What's, what's the point of her son dying now? What we find in this passage this morning is that Elijah and the widow had questions uh, and God had answers. And so keep in mind, as Pastor Phil mentioned last week, that God can have multiple purposes being carried out at the same time. This is no different here. What we see carried out is that God is answering one of the questions being answered, asked in the book of Kings. One of those questions being, who is your king, O Israel? Who can really rule and reign and provide for you as a king should? So here we find God, again, staking claim that he is the one and true God. This is set in, in Baal country. There's, there's no reason to believe that this woman knew the God of Israel. She would have been undoubtedly a follower of Baal. And so we see uh, in Elijah also being enrolled in the school of a prophet. Here Elijah is facing a common reality that comes with the office of prophet. Oftentimes God seemingly goes off script. He sends a curveball. He sends something that he didn't warn you of or give you prior notice to. God didn't tell him that this 
son, the, the, the son of this woman would die. And so Elijah, being unprepared, is thrust into action. Again, the responses of this widow and Elijah are helpful uh, to us this morning as we seek to deal with the tragedies in our lives. And there are three movements in this passage, three uh, things that I want to highlight this morning that I think would encourage us toward greater faith in God in the midst of the suffering that we may have going on this morning. And so the first, the first scene we're going to examine this morning is the, the sin of the widow. The sin of the widow. In, in confronting Elijah, she proceeds to uh, also make an accu- accusation. She asks, what do you have against me, O man of God? And then she proceeds to, she concludes that Elijah has come to reveal her sin and to cause the death of her son. As much as we can, I want us to try to understand the perspective of of this woman. She met Elijah while preparing to eat her last meal with her son and expecting to die from hunger. Now, after seeing the provision of the Lord being many days later, I'm certain for her all thoughts of death were far, far, far away. And now all of a sudden her son has died. Part of the shock of this tragedy for her is the confusion that this brings. You mean to tell me the God that wouldn't let the flower or the oil run out couldn't keep my son alive? She ended up with the same result. So to what benefit was this whole faith exercise? At least in her original plan, she, she controlled all the variables. She knew when the last meal would be. She could probably predict when they would possibly die. Remember, they were in the midst of a famine. Perhaps she had witnessed other widows carry out this same plan. After her initial question, what she does next seems to come out of left field. What she does next is that she immediately connects the death of her son to her sin. In a a cruel way of judgment, she accuses Elijah of taking her son's life based on her sin. And so I'm thinking, where does sin come from? What does sin have to do with any of this? How does, how does she even know what sin is? Well, if we kind of zoom out, if we kind of, you know, rewind the clock a little bit to, to the first message in this uh, series through Elijah and, and, uh, and Elisha, what we see is that sin had a whole lot to do with why Elijah was there. Remember, sin was the the reason Elijah was sent to Israel. The continual, nonstop, pervasive sin of the kings of Israel was what prompted God's judgment. So Elijah, in a real sense, was precisely there, not only because of her sin, because of the disobedience of Israel. So sin, sin was part of the reason he was there, but not the only reason he was there. Again, her comments at least it seems odd in the passage because we see nowhere uh, that Elijah confronts this woman about her sin. Are we to assume that Elijah had been teaching her the commandments of the Lord? Maybe, perhaps. Whether Elijah taught her the law of God or not, there is biblical evidence to suggest that she knew intuitively the commands of the Lord. This is the truth we find in Romans chapter 2. Verses 14 and 15, as it reads, Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it. 
even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts, and, and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. No one had to tell this Gentile woman that she had sin in her life. She recognized what all of us should recognize this morning, that all of us have sin. All of us have come short of the glory of God. The truth of God's word to us this morning is that regardless whoever you meet, God's law is written on their hearts. Every atheist, every agnostic, everyone that has not repented and turned from their sins and is trusting in Jesus, they know deep down inside they have sin. They may try to suppress it. They may, they may be able to convince you that they t- totally believe that what they're doing is right. But deep down inside, they know they have sin. They know something is amiss in, in their life. And so again, we see, we see this widow make the connection that her sin is somehow connected to the death of her son. And this is good for us to consider this morning because when we go through trials and suffering and, and when things happen in our lives, often there's a, there's a pattern to think that God is somehow judging us because of the sin in our lives. This was the logic of Job's friends. If you're familiar with the story, Job lost everything, and his friends were convinced that Job was facing judgment from God for his sin. And so what we must understand this morning is that the consequences of our sin and the payment that satisfies God's wrath for sin are two different things. At times, it may be hard to tell the difference, but to, but to think that God is giving you your just due for sin by sending tragedies in your life is an underestimate of the depth of your sin. God is eternal. He, God has designed us to be eternal. And so we are designed to live forever. When God decides to judge you in eternity for your sin, he gives you what you have sought for your whole life a life without him. Eternal punishment is life without God, particularly without his gifts. God's goodness to sinners right now, this morning, is that even in the midst of tragedy, those things are meant to lead them to repentance. This is what we find in Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7, where it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. The understanding in this verse is that there will be a time when you won't be able to seek the Lord. Perhaps a better way to understand this is to say that as much as she grieved, the loss of her son, as much as we grieve the loss of loved ones, the the tragedies that happen in this world, there is yet still a greater tragedy awaiting those who, who will not turn from and repent from their sin. This woman, she rightly brings up her sin. Let's look at how Elijah responds to her words. This brings us to our second scene this morning, a transition in the passage we see the supplication of Elijah, the supplication of Elijah. Now, by way of commending prayer to you on the evening of each uh, third Sunday of the month, we gather here to pray. Currently, we're going through a prayer acrostic 
It's called ACTS. It stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. Now, another way to describe what Elijah does for this woman and for her son, it would be called intercessory prayer or, or interceding uh, for them. But for the sake of having three S points this morning, we're going to call it supplication. <laughs> so supplication is defined by the action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. And I think this is precisely what we find in Elijah this morning. Notice the response of Elijah in this passage. In fact, I think what's interesting is if you compare uh, the words of Elijah in these set of verses to the words of Elijah in, in the previous set of verses. Elijah came and he met her with a word from the Lord. He, he reassured her by the Lord that the, the oil and the flour wouldn't run out. He had a whole lot to say to this woman. When we see Elijah in this passage, he only has two brief sentences for her. In fact, her question seems to request of him, man of God, the man that carries the word of God. Got any word for this situation? What have you to say now? What have you to say about this situation? And Elijah only says to her, give me your son. This is instructive for us this morning as we see Elijah fulfilling the role of a prophet, but also that of a priest. Elijah takes to go before the Lord on behalf of her son. Notice that Elijah says more to God about this situation than he does to the woman. What we need to learn from Elijah this morning is that we ought to have more words to God about our situation than to man. Are you truly praying to God about the chaos and the difficult situations in, in your life? Think about it. We sing it. We sing the song every week here. What a friend we have in Jesus. All of our sins and griefs to bear. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Would you take your problems to the Lord in prayer this morning? I'm preaching to y'all, but I'm actually preaching to myself because I don't pray as I should. I think about what, what peace am I leaving on the floor because I won't go to the Lord in prayer. For, forfeiting peace to spend my days worrying, worrying about my future, worrying about every little problem I see instead of taking it to the Lord in prayer. Oh, that we would take our sins and griefs to the, to the throne of grace this morning. The hope we see in this passage is that God hears and he answers prayer. So won't you pray this morning? Again, this is the example set by Elijah. His, his silence to her is based on the fact that he didn't have any word from the Lord. Elijah was caught off guard just as much as she was. But his response, though, was to take her son to the one who was not caught off guard. He took her son to the throne of grace. Now notice what he says when he begins to pray. O oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Elijah is asking, God, are we, are we really doing this this morning? Are we really doing this this morning? Perhaps Elijah might have just flat out said, God, this just ain't right. What you're doing here is just not good. 
This woman has shown faith, opened her home to me, obeyed the word that you have instructed her to obey, and this is what she receives? And so it is with our lives when trials and suffering come into our lives, particularly those that follow Christ, we are tempted to say, or maybe we do say, God, I don't deserve this. I'm one of yours. Don't you see what's happening to me? Don't you care? Where are you? Maybe our problem is that even when we are trusting in the promises of God, we do so under false pretense. It was Job that said in Job uh, chapter 2, verse 10, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never accept anything bad? Just what did it mean that God provided the oil and the flour? Did it mean that the widow would never face difficulty again? Was that the word to them? What does it mean for us when we trust the promises of God? Are the promises of God a defense mechanism to avoid the effects of sin in this world? They're quite the opposite. The promises of God are meant to keep us trusting in him in the midst of trial and suffering. They are not preventive measures. No doubt Elijah was caught off guard. But again, he was pleading with the only one who could do something about this. What, now, what Elijah does next seems pretty strange. He stretches himself over the child three times. Now, I don't know what he thought that was going to do. Maybe he thought the Lord would, like, flow something through him and it would, like, touch the, the sun. I don't know what he thought that would do. But what we do know is that in the next verse, God answers his prayer. And so this leads us to our third and final scene, the salvation of God. The salvation of God. Notice that Elijah's frustration is in the context of prayer. Again, this is instructive for us to note because what we see is God is big enough to handle our frustrations. We don't see God addressing Elijah or giving a defense for why he allowed the widow's son to die. The point is that we should come to the Lord, happy, sad, frustrated, accusing him of wrongdoing. The point is you should come to him. He can handle all that you have to bring to him. And the Lord's answer to Elijah here speaks both to the, the question of the widow and it answers Elijah's complaints. Verse 22 says that the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the son was revived. The fact that the son came back to life answered Elijah's question. Would God, was, was God enacting judgment on this woman? Would God end the life of this woman's son in the same way that he ended the life of the brook that fed him? What did this woman actually mean to the Lord? Was she just a means of provision for him to eat? The Lord's answer was a resounding no. No, I am not bringing judgment on the house of this widow. No, they will not dry up as the brook dried up. The Lord, he didn't need words to actually say this. He let the resurrection do the talking. As Elijah brought her, brought her son down, it was as if the word of the Lord was coming down to this woman. Elijah gives his only other statement in the passage, see your son lives. 
the Lord answered her question as well. Had her son's death been because of the sin in her life? Her son's revived life was a resounding no. The resurrection, again, the resurrection did the talking. For us this morning, the resurrection does the talking. The widow wondered how her sin uh, played into the death of her son. God, without saying a word, said everything. The resurrection of her son said it all. Elijah and this widow were both privileged to get a preview of the salvation of God, the salvation that many of us have come to know in Christ. And so it is for us this morning when trials and chaos, when financial loss occur, when, when children depart from walking with the Lord, when, when life seems to be turned upside down, and you are tempted to say by your sin that God is somehow judging you because of it, hear the word of the Lord this morning saying, No, no, my son lives. Let the resurrection of Christ do the talking this morning. The resurrection of a son said to this widow woman, You are right, a son will die for your sins, but not your son, my son. Your son could never pay the cost to be paid for your sins. So it is with us. A loss of loved ones, temporary suffering, cannot satisfy the eternal wrath of God due for your sin. Only Jesus could do that. And he has. The hope we have in Christ is found in Romans 3.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. This widow, she had a moment of clarity in discerning that the death was a result of her sin. But God revealed the true nature of who he is in the midst of this tragedy. The Lord was displaying for Elijah and the woman, I am. I am. I am. I am not only the God that can keep you alive. I am the God that can and will bring you back from the dead. He is the God of the living and the dead. He is the true God, not Baal. Where was Baal in this story? Nowhere to be found. God was making it known in an area full of Baal worshipers who the true and living God was. The Lord decided to reveal his mercy and his grace to this widow. Now you think about it. In the midst of a famine, how many other widows do you think had their son brought back to life? This was special grace to this woman. Grace on top of grace was was given to her. This is what the resurrection said. Elijah, in in interceding on behalf of her son, points us to Christ as he intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. What what seems strange and odd of him stretching himself over the widow's son points us to Christ. It was Christ who stretched himself on the cross for our sins. As Elijah covered the sun, it was the Son of God that covered us, his blood covering our sins so we won't have to face the wrath of God for our sin. Jesus' word speaking a better word than the idols of our lives ever could. This is what Jesus' resurrection says to us this morning. The Lord says to you this morning, see, see my son lives. Note the response of faith. In this, in this woman, uh, in verse 24, she says, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. 
This wasn't her response after the miracle of the oil and the flour. Both of these miracles pointed to God's rule, reign, and power. But this miracle spoke loudly. This miracle left no doubt that God was with Elijah. This miracle left no doubt that God had been with her. This miracle confirmed Elijah as a true prophet. And so as we think about Elijah and how this much could be said of him, how much more could we say of Christ? Christ willingly died for you and me. He went up, he went into the upper room as the Passover lamb. He was hung high and stretched wide on the cross for us. And he has defeated death for us this morning. How much more should we believe the words of Christ? And so what does Jesus' resurrection say to you this morning? Have you seen it? Can you, can you see him? Have you responded like this widow in saying, I can see, now I see. Do you now see that Jesus is the Son of God and that he lives? It's not only Jesus' words that are truth. Jesus is truth in the flesh. One of the things that has encouraged me the most in studying this passage was something the Lord revealed to me this morning. There, There have been times in my life Man, hopefully I can say this without, is there some, some tissue up here? Um, there, there have been times in my life when I thought God was silent. I'm, I'm praying, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know why this is happening. Where are you? What are you, what are you, what are you doing? And the word that the Lord gave to me, and I hope it encourages you this morning, that when it seems like the Lord is silent, he's not. He, he said to me, look to the cross. Let the resurrection of Christ speak to you. You have questions about what God is doing in your life? Look to the cross. He said enough. He doesn't have to say anything else. The blood of Christ is speaking yet today. My prayer is that by the grace of God, the tragedies that we face in our life would become only occurrences for greater knowledge and dependence on God. He lives this morning. He lives. May we see, as this woman has seen, the man of God, Jesus, the Son of God, and may we trust in all of his word. Let's pray.